Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My guest today is my good friend, Dr. Nate Collins. Uh, Nate holds a PhD from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the president and founder of Revoice. He's the author of a book called All But Invisible, exploring identity questions at the intersection of faith, gender, and sexuality. And he also has a forthcoming book on gender and sexuality in the Biblical Theology for Life series from Zondervan Academic. He's married to his wife, Sarah. They have three kids together, and they live in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I brought not, uh, I wanted to bring Nate on the podcast to talk about Revoice, this organization that he founded a few years ago that has been at the center of um, some level of controversy uh, controversy within the evangelical church. And because I've been swept up into that to some extent, because I speak at Revoice, I'm on the um, advisory board or something like that. And Nate's been a good friend. I promote Revoice, love Revoice. And so, yeah, I've had to kind of wrestle with some of the critiques about it, some of which are accurate. We'll talk about that. But I wanted to bring Nate on the podcast to talk about what is Revoice? What's the heart behind Revoice? What are some of the criticisms? Are they legitimate? Are they misrepresenting? So that's what this podcast is all about. So please welcome back to the show for the third time, the one and only Dr. Nate Collins. All right, hey friends, I'm here with my good friend, Dr. The Dr. <laughs> Nate Collins. It's so fun calling my friends doctor. It's like, you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but you do have a PhD in theology from the Southern Baptist Seminary. Um, I I wanted, wanted to have you on the podcast because, you know, you, you founded this amazing organization called Revoice um, several years ago. I've spoken at it twice, I think, and I'm on the... What am I? The advisory committee? Is that what, what I'm called? The, the advisory council. Advisory council. Um, a lot of people think I'm like yeah. a leader at Revoice, but I'm like, I'm, I'm advisory council is not, I'm not formally part of any kind of decision, but I'm a huge, huge, huge advocate of what you're doing, Nate. And um, uh, first of all, thanks for coming on the podcast again. This is your third time. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Always, always a pleasure. So I did want to talk about um, some of the assumptions about Revoice that are out there. And I know we spoke offline. I know this can be tiring and weary, um, constantly explaining yourself, and then nobody listens, and you explain yourself again, nobody listens, and then you explain it again, nobody listens. <laughs> you, you, you spend hours and hours and hours constructing a beautiful, and I don't like the term conservative, but let me say theologically sound sexuality statement and then people still say stuff they believe this they believe this and you're like i literally wrote a huge statement that says not that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah what for people maybe listening and don't really know maybe let's start with what is the mission and heart behind revoice and then i would love to work through what are some of the criticisms you've gotten that you know are they legitimate are they accurate accurately representing you and um let's let's start there what is the mission and heart behind revoice well, yeah, so I mean, I'll just read from the, our website. The mission of Voice is to support and encourage gay, lesbian, bisexual, and other same-sex Christians, as well as those who love them, so that all in the church might be empowered to live in gospel unity while observing the historic Christian doctrine of marriage and sexuality. Okay. So there you have it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our, uh, our, our, our primary audience is actual sexual minorities. So however they identify, whether they identify as gay, bisexual, lesbian, or if they prefer same-sex attraction language, 
uh, it doesn't matter to us. Uh, they're our audience. They're the people that we want to to encourage, to support, um, to uh, to see them thrive. And so um, they are the primary people that, that attend our conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, for example, seventy five percent, so two third, uh, three three fourths of of our attendees were actual sexual minorities, and mm-hmm. um, and the the rest of people who um, just want to see what's happening. <laughs> yeah, uh, want yeah. to see how they can learn and grow. So a lot of pastors, a lot of people in ministry, a lot of parents, so parents of, of gay kids or family member, other family members of gay kids, there's no real community for them Mm -hmm. that they've been able to find. And so they, they come to our conference and, um, are just welcomed in because it's, I mean, it's, it's been described as the biggest, the best family reunion you never knew you needed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I can, as a non-sexual minority, it's, I can, I, I felt that. I feel that absolutely. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's great. I mean, and even from a pastor's perspective, you know, I've had uh, pastors tell me that uh, attended that, that, you know, they had never experienced it before. And, and, uh, they said after being there, they don't, don't see how they could ever miss a revoice event, mm-hmm. how they were so impacted by the kind of community, the gospel, the kind of gospel community that's there, that they know they need to bring back to the church and have their church be transformed into that kind of culture. But that, that kind of culture is caught. You can't just teach it. It's, you gotta be there. You gotta let it soak in and let it, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just change you. Yeah. So anyway, so just two answer. things, even in your statement, historical Orthodox Christian view of marriage and sexuality. So you Revoice is grounded in a traditional view of marriage and sexual expression. I'm sure my audience yep. knows exactly what that means and doesn't mean. Um, so, can can you just maybe explain your heart behind that? Is that, and I'm going to throw you a softball here. Are you giving a nod to that? Is that something you guys kind of have to say but don't really passionately hold to? You know, is this no. is this a, a gateway <laughs> drug to being fully affirming? Because that's I've heard people say that. Maybe those exact words. Can you just? I would love for you to talk about how you understand the Bible and marriage and, and sexuality. Sure. Yeah. No. So at, at, built in the DNA of, of of Revoice is this traditional understanding of marriage as between a man and a woman. And that any sexual expression outside of that is is not God's best for people is is not uh, within His design for how people should, should should can flourish really, and so we we do not um, yeah we, we're we, we, one of our core values actually was uh, that traditional sexual ethic we broadened it to to just the, the value of discipleship in general because we want we recognize that sexual ethics are a matter of discipleship and so we want to mm-hmm. disciple people into. Uh, a, a way of embracing all kinds of ethics, including uh, the the ethic of, of sexual ethics, and so. Um, but yeah, we I mean we absolutely don't think of our our position on sexual ethics as some sort of slippery slope. In fact, we've had side A people, so affirming people, attend our conferences and find and and tell us that wow, I've experienced the spirit here in no in a way that I had never experienced the spirit in side A spaces. And they're actually considering, reconsidering the, their convictions on sexual ethics because they've seen. Really? How, yeah. Um, and so it's it's one of the amazing things. It's I mean, long long term, one of the things that I originally thought about when we started Revoice was this this kind of idea of what does it look like to to reach out to the side A Christian community, uh, the affirming community, and um, 
originally thought, you know what, let's just do what we do. Mm-hmm. Let's just reach the people that are wanting to, uh, to find space. This, this side be people, the, the traditionalists who are sexual minorities and don't feel like they belong in their church, mm-hmm. haven't felt like they've been able to thrive. Let's, let's, let's provide a space for the, these folks. But, but praise God if side eight people, if affirming people also come mm-hmm. and encounter the gospel and encounter the, like actually see with their eyes, the fact that people can thrive and not just scrape by with a traditional sexual ethic. And that's what they see. That's what we've seen. We've seen just joyful obedience, thriving mm-hmm. uh, in their faith. And, and it's, and that's just been beautiful. So you, I mean, anybody can attend, you don't have to agree with the doctrinal statement to attend, obviously. Oh, sure. Anybody can attend. Um, what about speaking? Yeah. What do you, what parameters do you draw? I mean, I would imagine you do. Yeah, what, what are the boundaries for who is allowed to speak at Reboise? Cause you have a range of speakers that come and, and, um, yeah. are they required to hold to the traditional sexual ethic or ha- would you have an affirming person on stage? You know, that's interesting. Um, so we, we, we have a contract, uh, for speakers. Um, the speakers, speakers have to be in broad agreement with our statement on sexual ethics and Christian obedience, which it's literally titled that statement on sexual ethics and Christian obedience. It's on our website. Um, and that statement makes it clear that sexual obedience and, and, um, the sexual ethic and obedience to the sexual ethic is central in many ways is, is a, a, how do we put it? It's an essential feature Mm -hmm. of sanctification. And so, uh, I don't know if we would ever have a, a affirming speaker. If it, if we did, it might be on like some sort of a panel to present a, a, a broad range of people. And we would make clear that this person is maybe not, is not representative of the mission right. of revoice, but their voice is important in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, uh, there's another perspective that is kind of, widespread, maybe not so much anymore, the beginning, um, the idea of a third, of third way. Yeah. You remember that conversation that happened yeah. several years ago? Yeah. I yeah. feel like it's still happening without the term, right? It, exactly. And that's, I think that's unfortunate because it's a real thing. Um, yeah. yeah so I, I, Revoice is not a third way organization. Um, Can you expl- yeah, explain, we, explain that for the people who don't know what that means? Yeah. So third way, um, is the idea that churches can have, uh, well, I mean, there's, it's not been defined. So my attempt to define it would yeah. be, uh, churches that, uh, have staff that might be affirming, but also staff that might be yeah. traditionalist. And as a church, they don't take a position on sexual ethics. And it's a, it's an and agree so, to disagree issue. It's a secondary issue. Like the time of the rapture, this is not exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, so you're not, I don't that. think you're not that. Cause I think some people would I'm assume not, you are. Yeah, no, we, we started out intentionally not being third way. Uh, it, we, you know, some of our founding documents that we use to, to, you know, share with people what we are and what we believe. And it was very much intentionally we were not third way. And so we, I, we, I would not have a third way speaker, someone that I considered to be third way, um, be a speaker, uh, in, in a sense, uh, Again, outside of the the very specialized role of like maybe a panelist or something like that, okay. yeah. I mean, because at the very end of the day, we we don't apologize for our belief that about marriage and sexuality. We think that that is good news. That's part of mm-hmm. what it means to thrive as mm-hmm. as sexual beings. 
is living within boundaries that that our creator made for us and and we're finding that that yes it's hard for many of us but it, in the day it's good and when things are good and we're living according to the good then we thrive yeah. it's just the, the problem is that so much of the good uh, has not been accessible hmm. to gay Christians and that's hmm. because of the way we do family the ways we do church the kinds of people we put in leadership all kinds of things hmm. um, and so at revoice we're trying to build a world where these things can be livable and not just livable, but people can thrive and be joyful in them. Right. Right. I have two questions, but two sides of the same coin. I'll just throw them both out. What are, what are some critiques that you've received that are inaccurate? Just they're, they're critiquing Mm -hmm. something that you're not saying or doing. And then I would love to also know what are some critiques that have been accurate and how you would respond to that, that they actually are representing what you're saying and they still are critiquing it, if that makes sense. Sure. So within sort of the, the broad, so I'll throw it in a term side B, we talked about side, I mentioned yeah. side A and that's the people who are affirming people who know this conversation, know the terms folks that come to our conference, uh, are a broad variety of people. So mm-hmm. if you tried to define the phrase side B, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. there's such a broad scope of people in there. Uh, Greg Webb says it's people who uh, gay people are just trying not to have gay sex. <laughs> like that's his <laughs> well, side, definition. Of, in my understanding, side B is not like side X or X gay therapy. Like yep. there would be a lot of tension yep. between that community and side B. And also side B tends to not police people's language. So you want to say you're gay. You right. want to say you're same sex attracted. You want to not even use a term. All of that would yep. be would be welcome within a side B, but the only, the only thing that would not be, and not, not that it would be welcome, but wouldn't be considered side B is if somebody was a, a real strong proponent of X gay therapy, would that be accurate yeah. or? Okay. That sounds accurate. Yeah. Oh. So one of the things that, that you find in the side B world is uh, some form of, some form of a, a desire for a committed relationship with someone else of the, op- of the same sex who probably is also gay or a sexual minority. And that kind of committed relationship gets termed lots of different ways, uh, whether celibate partnership, committed friendships, spiritual friendship. And so I've I've seen a lot of criticism basically trying to write off that kind of a relationship as uh, widespread within the Revoice community or widespread within the Revoice world. And as though, you know, by arguing against that kind of a, of a relationship that they've somehow also discredited revoice and our okay. mission and everything that we do. And that's frustrating because, I mean, I don't believe any, everybody is called to that kind of a friendship. And I don't think that kind of a relationship would be good for every single person. Mm-hmm. We're all different. And all of us are called to different forms of obedience, different patterns of relationships that characterize our daily lives. And for some people, that kind of a, of a relationship could be a good thing, but for other people, it could be a bad thing. And okay. certainly, there are there are forms of those kinds of relationships that are maybe people think are good, but there might be unhealthy unhealthy elements in them, and yeah. they're not being honest with themselves or with people who are in spiritual authority over them. So, all that to say, uh, people yeah. who who criticize Revoice because Revoice is the celibate partnership uh, community, that's just not accurate. And, this, and I, I can say that without throwing people who might be, quote, in a, quote, celibate partnership um, under the bus. I fully support the idea of that. And I think that it can be done in beautiful, beautiful ways. Yeah. 
but but revoice is not like oh you have to be in a solo partnership for to be able to thrive oh, or gotcha. you should be that's never been that's absurd. <laughs> my 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 naive guess would be maybe five percent ish of the people at Revoice would be in that kind of relationship. I don't know. Or maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. No, it's not not, like you've done no, a survey or something, that. but and that yeah. I, I appreciate that you even I mean, even that conversation has so much diversity in it. I mean mm-hmm. I mean if on on the one end of the spectrum, somebody could be, you know, in a in a covenanted partnership living together almost yep. giving the flight like they wouldn't call it hopefully that i mean they shouldn't shouldn't call it a marriage um but no, it, no, it, no, can, it can function almost like a sexless marriage i mean that's the one key ingredient that defines them is there's no sexual relationship so they're not that's right they're not outside the bounds of orthodoxy but but sometimes the yeah. language you know partnership or or even the function could could feel more marriage like on, on the other end you have people that are like um, no, we think all healthy friendships should be committed for life like David and Jonathan. And then this is lost on the Western society as a whole. And yeah. we're trying to like rejuvenate that. Yep. Yep. I don't know anybody who, well, I don't know. See, I, I just, I, I always say an extreme statement that I back, I walk it back a little bit, but <laughs> I mean that, 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 I mean, I think it's healthy for a human to be, to have a better view of friendship. How's that? Like a more committed view of yeah. friendship. Um, and and so some celibate partnerships, celibate relationships, committed relationships could be simply illustrating something that we all should be doing on some some level. Is, is that inaccurate? Yeah. I'm still I'm still getting my arms around this, you know. Um, I mean, no, I've been it's thinking a conversation about it for a while. that yeah, and no, it's a conversation that that is still developing, mm-hmm. and it's hard because I think it's an important conversation because it's it's it outlines avenues for community. And for family, for many of us, hmm. um, that don't exist, and until they exist, uh, then it's going to be hard for some people, gay people particularly, to to find belonging. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think gay people can covenant with families, mm-hmm. not just a single gay person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, gay people can covenant with families to belong to them and to belong to each other. Yeah. And, you know, what's that look like? What what kind of daily rhythms that are encouraging for the parties involved, uh, what kind of daily rhythms can de- be developed to to make life livable for everybody else? So, I mean, to get back to your original question, that's that's one one criticism. Okay. Um, another criticism that we hear is you're making your your gayness, your orientation, you know, central to who you are, right? Just by saying you're gay, um, and I don't even understand where that comes from. Like. I don't think of myself primarily as, you know, gay. <laughs> I'm a number of things uh, and a no, like a variety of labels describe who I am. And the fact yeah. that gay is one of them doesn't mean that I make being gay central to who, who I am. Yeah. Um, some people think the phrase gay Christian is insinuating that, that you're saying that gay is central to your core, who you are at your core being. And, right. and that's, just, that's absurd. Um, that's not what any of us mean. Uh, it just happens to be meaningful because people used to think you couldn't be Christian and gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That les, has led to despair and, and death by suicide in many ways. Like the, the, the idea that you yeah. can't be Christian and gay. And so um, I don't use the phrase gay Christian very often, but when I do, it's intentional because it's to combat the idea that, that the, the two are incompatible. Well, and, and also that, that idea. Keep going. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. 
No, it's fine. It, 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 it combats the idea that, that the two are incompatible. And that idea is prevalent in, in many places. It's, it's not as prevalent, thankfully, uh, as the conversation's gotten, gotten better. But I still run into people who, who discover hope for the first time because they find out that, oh, you can be gay and Christian. And for us, that means living according to the traditional sexual ethic and abstaining from sex outside of marriage. And if you're not, you're not called to a mixed orientation marriage and being sexually abstinent for the rest of your life. Like, but that means the underlying orientation is still there. It's real. You can name it and name it alongside your spiritual identity of being united with Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I, yeah, it's such a complex, it, it, I mean, on the one hand, it's not complex. On the other hand, there's many layers to it, but, um, even the phrase gay, I keep hearing that more and more because I, you know, I, I, I use a phrase and I, I get a lot of flack f- for that. But what people, and this might be helpful for people listening, like when I use the phrase gay Christian, it's simply out of linguistic expediency. It's not, I'm not meaning, mm-hmm. like if I, if a friend of mine has been divorced, been through a horrible divorce, I could be vigilant at always saying, my friend who has been through a divorce and she's a Christian, or I can say my friend who's a divorced Christian. The fact that I simply mm-hmm. said divorced Christian, I'm not at all trying to elevate her divorcedness as a central part of her identity. It's really out of just a linguistic expediency. I yep. rare, I don't know if I, well, ever. I mean, rarely do I ever hear a Christian who does use the term gay to sometimes describe their experience Rarely do I hear the phrase gay Christian come out of their mouth, except when it's in this context of like, do you, do yeah, you call yeah. yourself a gay Christian? I was like, well, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's. I could. Do you want me sure. To? <laughs> like, or I could say a Christian who experiences same sex attraction, a Christian who is gay. I mean, what, what linguistic phrase would suit you? But you can use five different phrases that mean the same thing. And a, a Christian who experiences same sex attraction and a gay Christian can functionally mean the same thing. And for me, it does feel like I just, I feel the pain and discouragement when in particular, a Christian is so sold out to Jesus that they're committing their life to celibacy in a society where they mm. can be affirmed at every corner of culture and many corners of the church to have a same-sex partner, and they still, out of allegiance to Jesus, are committing to lifelong celibacy for Mm -hmm. people to say, wait, you called yourself a gay Christian. Don't you know where your allegiance lies? Wow. Like, I I really hope that seeps into the heart of people like with that accusation how just strange that can hear when functionally look at my life and you tell me where my allegiance lies. Is that a common frustration among people that are giving up a lot? Um, Yeah. And, and to hear that kind of accusation, I I just, I can only imagine how that would feel. Um, Yeah. It's, it's the language wars get really exhausting. Yeah. Um, I bet. Can you, can you talk about that? If you don't mind dive, I mean, maybe it's exhausting to even dive into that more, but it's helpful for people to hear that because I think that's something that people realize. So, I mean, so for many of us, just, just saying the word gay is just being honest about our experience and being honest about our experience in the context of cultural Christianity, which doesn't like to act like, which likes to act as though this doesn't exist. There are no gay people. Gay people make us uncomfortable. Gay culture is something that we don't understand and it has no place in the church. 
everything about gayness is something that we, you know, it should not be named. And so that's, that's our tradition as evangelical North American Christians. That is our tradition. That's what we grow up in. That's the air we breathe. That's the, that's the energy that animates our sermons that we hear. And, and when you're gay or a sexual minority and you grow up in that culture, then, and then, and then you come to realize that you're gay, you know, when in teenage years and you come to realize, oh, wow, or you felt different your entire life uh, for many of us. And then you come to realize what that difference is actually called uh, when you're you know, a teenager and, uh, and you realize, oh, it's because I'm actually gay. For me, growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was, oh, I'm a homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the language was. Like my, my dad tells me, I don't remember this, but my dad tells me that when I came out to him, I told him, dad, I think I'm a homosexual. <laughs> Oh, you did? Um, uh, yeah, I don't remember. I must have blocked that out. I was 19 years old. Um, but, I mean, just to be able to name it is something that uh, hmm. is important because it's real to us. It's our experience, and it it influences our lives, it, it, and it, it colors our lives. It, it And so, yeah, the, just the short three-letter word gay is a culturally meaningful label that names a common experience and we should be able to name our experiences and be true and authentic about our experiences because they, they inform our understanding of who we are. Mm -hmm. Notice I didn't say they determine (laughs) or that they play a central role or that they are the lens through which we view all of reality, but they inform our understanding of who we are and being able to to be honest about that to, 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 to be honest about the fact that we belong to a group of people that are categorized by a common experience, mm-hmm. um, however you might describe that experience, um, is just meaningful. It's part yeah. of being seen. A revoice is not about celebrating um, sexual deviance, deviancy or anything like that. It's about celebrating being seen because mm. Jesus sees us yeah. in all of our particularity. Yeah. And um, everybody deserves to be seen and understood and and feel like they can belong. Yeah. Let, let me let me try to represent. I, I don't want to. And this could be our maybe last part of the the gay idea, the, the term gay or whatever in this conversation. But um, let me try to represent maybe a, a concern that I do resonate with. I'm not saying I fully agree with it, but I, I, it's like okay, that that's a little more thoughtful, and there's something there, and I'm still not sure exactly. I haven't nailed down exactly what I think about it, but there is a concern that any kind of identity label can invest more ontological weight in one's existence that may not be helpful. Um, for instance, mm-hmm. I could call myself an American Christian, mm-hmm. but man, if I, if I lean, if I, if I'm constantly naming that and naming it and, 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 mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I want to be seen as an American Christian, and and I'm an American. I'm an American. I, no, I'm an American. Don't say American Christian. No, I'm going to say American. Like that. That could build mm. into me. While American Christian could be neutral, it's not sinful. It could cultivate yeah. sometimes, almost on a subconscious level, a view of myself mm-hmm. as a separate ontological kind of human. And in a society yeah. where these labels can be polarizing, it could all of a sudden build in me almost like an ethnocentrism that not intending, but, Oh, you're not an American creator. Oh, you hate America. Oh, and it could, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It could cultivate a tribal identity that could be unhelpful. Um, 
Because I've, I've heard people, yeah. like thoughtful people, not not the ones that are just reacting and not understanding, but thoughtful people sure, sure, sure. say, I don't know if I really like orientation language. It seems to kind of categorize humanity with, you know, you have straight people over here and gay people over here and trans people over here. And like, like there's these, rather than just we're humans as male and female, some might be intersex. Yeah who um, have a yep. range of different experiences that they might experience for the lifetime, but that doesn't mean we should be compartmentalizing different categories of humanity. Am I even representing that part of the, the concern well? And what are your thoughts oh, on yeah. that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, gen- this is, I'm just yeah. thinking out loud through this. I'm like, no, there's something, because language isn't neutral. Um, and identity markers yeah. aren't neutral. Um, yeah. I don't know. But there is the, I mean, the way I've thought about it and the way that we have, yeah, the way I thought about it and the way that I've just conceptualized what we don't want to be. Um, so there's the concern that, you know, we're just siloing people away into our own Mm. communities and that we're acting uh, as though we're self-sufficient within our own community. We don't need the broader bride of Christ, broader church. Which I have so many thoughts on that. Are you doing that or is a church making you do that? But go keep going. Sorry, finish your thought. Well, well, it's all connected. <laughs> As it's if you guys really want to be a part of the church and the raised. church is like, you know, yes, we want you to be a part. And you're like, no, we're going to take our ball and go home. Like, I, <laughs> but, No, the, the church is actually like, we don't want you here. And so we're trying to find a place where we can belong. Yeah. So when I hear that concern, I think, oh, it's absolutely valid. I mean, a, a, a particularized identity that links you with a particular group can easily pull you away from any and everything else that's good for you that you just don't want because it's a source of pain, mm-hmm. source of trauma, misunderstanding, or you've just been outright rejected. So yeah, the, absolutely. You know, a identifying as a gay Christian, for example, or uh, just a gay person in general um, can obviously, yes, lead to um, that part of your identity being too central and pl- playing too large of a role and how you think of yourself. Mm. Um, but there's a background, like there's a lot yeah. of context for all the forces that are, would be, would be pushing someone in that direction. Some of which are not their own agency are not their own decisions, not their own responsibility, for example, to, to maintain a balanced self-understanding. Um, like you said, churches, <laughs> sadly, I mean, the bride of Christ, we're talking about the bride of Christ, the, the, this beautiful eschatological reality of, a spotless bride of Christ who right now uh, is not spotless, is not pure, um, is uh, in terms of actual visible church, visible churches, uh, things that, they're, uh, that, that, that are happening. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of reasons why gay people would not feel welcome and would not feel like that, they're, uh, that they belong, that their presence in local churches is, um, is welcomed. And so, because of all, I mean, it, 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 we're talking about language. We're talking about the language of trauma. Because of these these experiences of spiritual trauma, that are very common for sexual minorities mm-hmm. uh, who are have grown up in the church. A lot of those experiences are what push people into these silos. And so, for for us at Revoice, we started out as we just want to be a place where sexual minorities can feel like they belong. No questions yeah. asked. You know, yeah. you. You come, we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to teach each other. We're going to learn how to be more faithful Christians. Part of that is adhering to the, the traditional sexual ethic because that's part of the core of what we, what we believe. But we're just going to be a place where you can belong. And you know, long term, we want you to go home 
from our annual conference to your church and find a church where you can belong. And so one of the things that we're, we're launching actually this quarter, uh, we're launching a church partnership program because we want to see local churches be places where sexual minorities can thrive. And so we're, we're focusing on long-term partnerships with a small number of churches starting small so that people can learn what does it look like for a church to be a safe place for sexual minorities? Because at the end of the day, we don't want people just coming to revoice and then not knowing where to go after that. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to, yeah. we want people to, we want to be able to, 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 to actually live out our belief that the local church mm-hmm. is the family of God is yeah. the most basic expression of the family of God. And, um, and sexual minorities need to be need to feel like they're they're welcome in those churches. Have you talked to Greg? Greg's working on a really long list of churches around the nation that um, Greg calls. Yeah, yeah, and and we have a criteria of kind of like you're not affirming, you don't advocate for ex gay, uh, whatever. And there's a few other things like just just at least it would be an open door for somebody to feel safe to at least explore. Is this a community? That yeah. would ahead of time without having to vet, you know, the big picture stuff where it's like, oh, I, I wouldn't feel safe or comfortable at this kind of church. Yeah, or that yeah, kind yeah. Of church. Um, yeah I, I'm not sure where, they, where he's at with that list, but it was it was a pretty yeah long list of churches. Was, well, yeah. Art Pereira, he's our director of community care. He's been talking with uh, with Greg about Got it. that. OK, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> We're also doing one with counselors, too, because that, that's a especially some of the gender stuff like that's really hard mm-hmm. to, to have a counselor that would be, um, again, at least worth checking out because we can't vet, we can't thoroughly vet everything, but to say, Hey, they're, they're, they're checking yeah. off some major boxes here that we would feel comfortable for you at least to explore whether this would be helpful or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So how about critiques that are accurate that you're like, yeah, this is just, we, this is what we're about. And, and if you're not, some people might not be comfortable with this and, and that's okay. Um, I mean, the, the one, the one. I guess just to state the obvious, like you're okay, somebody calling themselves a gay Christian showing up. You're okay with somebody who's affirming coming to the yeah. conference, and that's just weird to me to think that people would not like that because where else would you want an affirming Christian to go than a place that right. <laughs> that is teaching a historic Christian sexual ethic? But that's I know some people have a you know no I just I want everybody to stay in their echo chambers and and not leave that um, yeah but yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that would be one big one is you're not policing people's language. People, I mean, you have people there. I remember um, after I spoke, I remember I talked to some say same sex attracted Christians that were super conservative. Like they were like, oh, I will never use the term gay, you know, all the way yeah, people yeah, yeah. who would be like, no, same sex attraction. That phrase triggers me because of ex-gay origins and yeah. everything. And and so all the people, there's a spectrum of viewpoints on even the language, right? At Revoice. Yeah. I mean- yeah. Yep. Sorry. I've, well, in our, yeah. our, our statement on sexual ethics and Christian obedience, we don't make a claim regarding language. We explicitly say people may choose different language. Both both language uh, terminology options have baggage mm-hmm. and everybody's story is different. And so people are naturally going to choose different terms. Right. And that's right. like that's just a given. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah. so we're not going to we're not going to make make judgments about people based on the language that they choose. Right. Sorry, I kind of cut you off. I mean, those. from the beginning, that, that's always good. Yeah, so uh, critiques. No, that's fine. I, yeah. I, I mean, I think one critique I heard, it was early on, and we we remedied it. Um, people were like, well, you're doing a conference, but what do you believe? <laughs> like, And so after the first conference, that's when we actually spent several months working on our, our doctrinal statements. Okay. And those are on our website. They've been on our website since 
2019, I think Jane, February of 2019. It seems like eternity ago at this point. Yeah. Pre-pandemic. <laughs> um, and and that, that, that's kind of a hard criticism. Yeah. Pre-pandemic. That's kind of a hard criticism to hear still because they've been up there so long and they're there for people to look at and disagree with if they want to. Mm. But I've never seen any critic of revoice, um, engage substantially with those statements. Wow. Um, really? There's, Oh no, no. I've heard, I mean, I've heard podcasts where people will spend an hour, uh, like they'll spend an hour, uh, uh, what's the word? Presumably cr criticizing revoice, but really they're criticizing a straw man because they're saying things that we don't believe they're not interacting with actual content from talks. They're definitely not interacting with our our statements, our doctrinal statements that are up on our website. Um, and so that's frustrating um, when people will outright reject, quote, you know, side B theology. I mean, there is no real side B theology or even worse. There's a pejorative people use side B Christianity as though that there's this form of Christianity that, you know, is unique to people who are gay and following a traditional sexual ethic and and that's who that's who we are. Um, I've never heard a side B Christian use the phrase side B Christianity to describe their faith. <laughs> um, it just it's just crazy. Um, I remember the first anyway, but yeah, I, I know there's no, a, for people who are listening, I think there's a little internet lag time here, so that's um, I know that could be hard. It's why Joe Rogan uh, flies everybody out to interview them live, which you know that live conversation. Uh. There's no lag time, so may, maybe. Maybe when Theologian Rob gets a hundred million dollar contract from Spotify, I can fly you out. <laughs> Until then, we're left with crappy oh, internet no. and Skype. So, um, the first year, I do remember, and I, I pay so little attention to social media stuff, but I, I did remember coming across something. People were kind of really taken back by some of the titles of the talks. Is that accurate? Am mm -hmm. I remember that correctly? Um, and there were some that were, as somebody who likes to kind of spice things up and throw out a provocative title, mm -hmm. it didn't even land on me because I'm like, I do that every, that's just like Thursday morning for me to say something provocative to get people <laughs> into a conversation. But um, I remember yeah. kind of looking back like, oh yeah, that, that would be, that would be challenging for somebody to look at the titles of the talks and say, and, and be like, wow, where's this going to go? You know, um, was that yeah, an yeah. issue? And, and do you have any regrets about certain talks or people or whatever that you've hosted. And I don't want to throw you, you know, just don't throw people under the bus or whatever. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think the most controversial talk from the first year was Grant Hartley's talk about queer treasure. And that was a phrase from the title of the talk. Oh, maybe that's, yeah, um, that might've been the one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was an amazing talk. I mean, it was so yeah. good. Um, I ha I mean, there were, uh, like, let's put it this way. A 80-year-old PCA teaching elder in here in, in St. Louis listened to that talk and said, "You need to put that on YouTube so people can hear what he what he actually said." Wow! Yeah. <laughs> and so it was an amazing talk. And as far as titles go, I, I think it was edgy. Um, uh -huh. I think it did enough to describe the content, and I don't think it crossed any lines. Yeah. In fact, uh, in 2020. Well, so in, in 2019, the next year, we had Grant come back to give a, a, an updated version of the same talk, and mm. it was even better. Um, and then in 2020, 
uh, we had uh, this was the, vir- the virtual conference. Uh, we had a a PCA pastor speak, and uh, I didn't know that this is what he was going to talk about. But he ended up giving a passionate appeal for the same content that was in that talk, but giving it an explicit biblical basis, okay. talking about the, the the kingdoms of Tyre and Sidon bringing their treasures to uh, the the king or to the lamb or whatever, and it was. I mean, talking from the, the prophets and talking about um, these uh, these non-Jewish countries offering their treasures uh-huh. in the kingdom. And it was just a beautiful, amazing, passionate appeal for people to, to see, yes, there is common grace everywhere if you will only look and see it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, so it was a, a really beautiful way to sort of see this thing that was, you know, the source of so much heat, so much uh, controversy, be given its rightful, I think, uh, rightful honor mm-hmm. and recognition. So yeah, I wouldn't regret that um, at all. I think it was. I mean, people. It was a standing room only talk. It was. I mean, it led people to tears because wow. they could finally see. Wow, I can. There are parts of my experience of my sexuality that can be redeemed mm-hmm. and be seen as beautiful wow. and treasure even. So it's just so theologically robust. It's just so sad that this topic has become so fragile and volatile that any other area of theology, most other areas of theology, you would have freedom to explore this mm-hmm. under the rubric of and what's yeah, just a general revelation or whatever yeah. whatever historic category you want to use, and we enjoy that. Like, oh, let's let's expand our theological horizons, but the second you throw queer into it it's like everybody shuts down well not everybody but the heart and the hard thing is is these these are actual people i mean you've Mm. your book people to be loved like Mm. like there are actual people who who experience the controversy as rejection yeah and who who feel pushed out and like they don't Mm. belong Mm -hmm. and it's it's just really it's i mean when you got when you have people who are just fighting to believe yeah. And they're being told by their their church, by their spiritual leaders that um, that they, or they're 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 learning, they're they're discerning that they don't belong because of the way people talk about their experience. It's like where do they go? Um, that you you just it's hard. yeah it's it's here's what's hard for me is I you know I've been living in that space for a while now. To me that's just that's that's normal for me to to know that that's how gender and sexual minorities have felt for years. So I've lived in that kind of um, trajectory, that journey. And so for me, it just seems like a no, it just seems so obvious, but I I do have to give grace to people who are raised in a culture war context. It's just a lot of fear driven stuff. And they've been soaked in a narrative and that to know, you know, it's like, I mean, we all have a responsibility to believe truth and pursue grace. Okay. So I don't want to let, people totally off the hook, but I also understand the power of that narrative. And it, you know, people haven't sat down and, and talked to people who are absolutely yeah. crazy about Jesus and are making major sacrifice of the kingdom, who read the Bible every day, who are pursuing Jesus, who have felt nothing but rejection by family, friends, the church, and what that does and that they're still clinging to Jesus like that that it, it's hard it would be hard to really spend you know an hour in the presence of somebody like that and not be changed but some people haven't had that opportunity 
maybe it's their fault. Maybe yeah. it's somebody else. Maybe it's just, it is what it is, you know? So I, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm going with that, but man, I, why, why don't we for, uh, can we talk about revoice 2022? Um, what's, sure. what's on store and, and how can people, uh, find out more? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we're, our, our next conference is this October. Um, you can go to revoice.us and uh, learn more about the dates, sign up to get notified when registration opens. Um, we're, I mean, we're, this is, the, this is the first time that we've actually had a conference at the same place two years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're excited about actually knowing where we're going and having been there before. It feels like every single year it's been a learning curve. You know, the people on my team, myself and our, our team, we've, we're, we've not been trained in planning conferences. Most yeah. of us have seminary degrees, and so we can yeah. we can talk theology. But when it comes to actually logistics types of things, uh, yeah. we rely on other people. And anyway, all I have to say that, uh, yeah, we're just excited to go back to the same place. Uh, Chase Oaks Church in Plano, Texas has just been an incredibly hospitable um, partner to work with and generous with, with their, their venue and their space. Yeah. And we learned some things from last year's experience, um, in terms of just logistics of what it takes to have a conference at a church venue. Um, and so, uh, we're going to include meals in registration prices this year, instead of having people buy from food trucks that might have long lines. (laughs) Yeah. You you need more food trucks. Yeah, you know, I, yeah we, we needed more food trucks. I just put on a conference, the Theology and Iran conference, and it was because I remember going to yours yeah. and saying, you had about four or 500 people. I think you had two food trucks. I'm like, I, th- I think right when I came home, I told Chris, my wife, who's organizing, I'm like, do we need to have a lot more food trucks than, than yeah. we had plans? <laughs> even then, even well, then it was welcome. an issue. I think we had eight or nine food trucks. The problem was my buddy Jay okay. Newman was smoking Nashville-style barbecue and there was one of him and everybody was flocking to that. And so we actually had oh, a, a wow. decent amount of food trucks, but um, hit, hit, yeah, you can't smell that smoke and not just and like not the Manchurian go, candidate, yeah. just like gravitate towards that line. But um, yeah. 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 I don't think we're going to, we're, it's not final. We haven't publicized anything yet, but I think we're, we're, we're going to cater and we'll just provide okay, options wow. for people to yeah. pick up their food and, and roll it into the, the registration price. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, logistically, things are going to be um, smoother. The the sessions are going to be a little shorter. I, th- I think a lot of people felt like they were drinking the fire hydrants last year. Yeah. And so we're going to have more time for for community building. We're going to have a lot of intentional uh, meetups for folks. So yeah. geographical meetups on on Friday for lunch, and then affinity group meetups uh, on yeah. on Saturday for yeah. Just want people to 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 really come together and. Uh, just experience belonging together. Yeah. Uh, we have a theme. I don't think we've announced the theme yet, so I'm not going to say anything okay, about it. But good, yeah. we're really excited about about uh, about our theme this year, the Bible verse that it comes from, okay, and making that central to to the way the sessions are laid out and the the speakers, the topics that they're addressing. Can you announce any speakers uh, yet, or no? That's probably not public yet, or you're probably still finding speakers. Yeah, no, yeah. we got everybody. We're just we haven't we haven't made that announcement yet. Yeah, but yeah. it'll be soon, okay. potentially. Yeah within a few weeks yeah <laughs> and by the time this goes live they might have already been yeah 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 been, been announced. <laughs> you should my, my i'm going to connect you with my barbecue guy i don't know if you're against him coming out and setting up a smoker that, that was so much fun in our conference but uh yeah uh, he, he's not too far away and he's he works for the number one barbecue rated the number one barbecue joint in nashville texas it's been rated number one for the last two years 
Okay. And, and barbecue is is a religion for him. I mean, it's, it's Jay Newman. I don't know if you know him. Um, no. He's been on the podcast before. Great guy. Oh, great cool. thinker. And uh, well, maybe we'll cater him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and he just started his own. He's starting his own business, and the Theology and Rock Conference was kind of his first. Bit. He dragged a smoker across from Nashville to Boise, and was just overwhelmed with it. He was so overwhelmed. Wow. He's like, I didn't, I didn't want to buy too much meat or whatever but he was just swamp man it was so good it made it so fun too because it just i don't know it was it was a fun, yeah. fun vibe but um he could it's probably that, it's ironic that theology in the raw it was a very raw barbecue kind of, plant, oh right? yeah yeah barbecue <laughs> anyway we'll, we'll get talked offline how are you i i went yeah. to ask this earlier um and i don't know how personal you want to get but you know um you've had a journey i mean with your own sexuality and, and and then you know going through um you know very conservative environment and getting a phd and um you're, you're married with children and then starting revoice which was amazing but also a lot of the backlash and then you know just a constant buzz of criticism i'm sure that is just the air you you breathe how are you doing man i mean you you're just one of the most gracious people i know mm. um i mean look at you just you just seem so calm and collective I, like almost like you're a just <laughs> some heterosexual tax accountant in boise idaho or something you know it's like <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare <laughs> i don't even that, i don't know why i even said that but just you just like <laughs> you, you've had a tough road and how are mm. you doing you're still a christian you're still theologically yeah. you know committed to the text and how are you, man? Yeah. How can we pray for you? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it has been a journey. Uh, I'm I'm 41. I remember I, I came out. I think when I was 26 or so. Sarah and I had been married for a couple of years at that point. I, she she knew. I came out to her when we were dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I feel like I've gone through every phase. Mm. someone can go through as a gay Christian, except the affirming route. Mm. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm, I, my dad tells me that I told him I might be a homosexual. <laughs> and then uh, eventually I, I heard the language, same sex attraction. And that felt good to me. Eventually I realized no gay is just simpler and more accurate and less Christianese. And mm-hmm. Then I learned about the baggage that same-sex attraction had mm-hmm. with the gay world, and I was even more glad that that I was able to to part ways with that. But then, yeah, the more I used the gay label, um, especially in my PhD years at Southern Seminary, mm. um, you did use it then, mm-hmm. publicly, yeah. or just kind of yeah, yeah, publicly. How was that? Can you talk about that? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of. I mean, I was just ignored. Um, mm-hmm. I mean that. As far back as 2017, so I, I finished my PhD in 2017, and I remember as far back as 2014 using that language publicly in you know, talks that I would give. I mean, gosh, I've I've been gone from Southern for almost four years. Um, I consider Southern to be a very toxic place still. Um, I have a lot of pain from just the the lost relationships. From, I mean, I spent 14 years there. 14? Uh, 14, yeah. MDiv, MDiv took uh, six years because my wife got her MA in counseling and got licensed and we had kids and took a year off and then PhD took seven years. 
Um, is her MA from Southern as well? It is. Oh, okay. So she, it's, okay. it's it's from the pre-biblical counseling days. Oh, oh, okay. So the the program that she was in actually prepared her for licensure. So she's a, a marriage and family therapist. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot happened in the <laughs> in the time we were there. Yeah. Um, in terms of just this conversation, I mean, you had the you know in the in the aughts, in the, the 2000s, there were the marriage debates nationwide because states were passing marriage amendments. And mm-hmm. and then you had the the fall of Exodus in 2013. Yeah. And then I started writing about my ideas in around 2014, 2015. My book came out in 2017. So, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, a lot's happened. And, yeah, it's, yeah, it is exhausting to think about in terms of just personally uh, feel like – there's been in the last four years, at least just a few, uh, key people who have mm-hmm. just always been there. My wife, Sarah has been mm-hmm. the biggest support and the most rock solid person to lean on. Sarah's um, a rock star, man. She's been through a lot. Cause I know wives can sometimes, or I should say spouses can sometimes bear, bear the weight of difficult situations. Sometimes, sometimes more than the spouse who's yeah. maybe going through it. Um, I, I could speak that for me. Like I, and I, and I'm, I'm a pretty resilient just personality. So, um, but yeah, my, my wife, the tiny glimpses she's gotten of, she, she's mm-hmm. probably seen about 2% of the criticisms I get. <laughs> Cause oh, she's wow. not on, she doesn't have Twitter. She just got an Instagram okay. like six months ago. I don't know if she's <laughs> on, you know, like, and as you know, 99% of people that holler and scream are Russian bots anyway on social media. So like <laughs> real people don't do that to your face. So, I mean, she, she, yeah. But then she'll hear, like, she'll get an email or something. She's like, oh, this person said, I'm like, dude, yeah, don't look at my Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he, he, like, I, I know that, that she would yeah. wear, she, she, that weighs her down yeah. a lot more than it does me. I can only imagine, Sarah, the stuff you've gone through, man. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's so most recently, I mean, there's been a lot of controversy in, in the PCA, Presbyterian Church oh, in America. Right. Yeah, you're, yeah. And I mean, I don't, want to descend into denominational politics, but we do attend the PCA church because it's pastored by an amazing man, Greg Johnson. Yeah. Who's a dear friend, but because of memorials, Presbyterian church, this is the church we attend. They attend, they hosted the first revoice and that, that triggered some really, it could have been potentially fruitful discussion, but it's turned into this really divisive controversy, sadly. And, and then most recently, um, even Tim Keller, who was an author of a report that the, uh, PCA wrote, Tim Keller uh, just recently on a blog said that the report explicitly clearly rejects side B Christianity. Really? And that's really, yeah, yeah. Um, you were breaking up a little bit there, Nate. So um, Tim Keller was part of a report, authoring a report that says he completely rejects side B theology. Yeah. Well, he, he, yeah. So the PCA uh, built, uh, assembled a committee to write a, to, to, they commissioned a committee to write a report on sexuality to try and bring some unity yeah. to the, the PCA. And the report, instead of bringing unity, really tried to be too many things to too many people. And um, most recently, Tim Keller in a blog on the PCA's uh, magazine website, By Faith, um, said that the report, quote, clearly rejects side B Christianity. And he agrees so with I, that? I or are you not, is it not clear whether he agrees with that? No, he agrees with it. Okay. He agrees with it. He wrote, he was, he was an author of the report and the report didn't 
name the phrase side B. That's a, it's a very niche phrase. Tim in his Tim Keller in his blog article used the phrase side B and said the report clearly rejects side B Christianity. And so it was it was hard because he used the phrase side B Christianity, which is a, it feels like a pejorative. We don't want to. Did he define exactly? Because that's a really broad. So he did. Okay. He 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 said side B is broad, and he he provided three sort of key ideas that, um, in his estimation, describe side B. Some of them are kind of vague, and so I I was I saw what I could understand what he was trying to accomplish. I only bring this up in the sense of if this hurts us, it hurts me. You know, for me as a, a a not only as a gay man, but as the president of an organization that's trying to provide a safe space for gay people. Um, it's hard when people like Tim Keller and, and others make statements like that, that ultimately don't do anything but distance mm-hmm. gay people from the church. It feels like a Galatians 2 experience where we're welcome up to a point, but then when men from James come, then we're not welcome. We're not mm-hmm. included. And so I say that all the only to like in the sense of, you know, people like Sarah, like my wife and others who have just been really solid support and um, people I can lean on. Yeah, it gets it gets tiring to 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 experience real rejection Mm -hmm. um, from people and to experience real um, exclusion from from spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's it is hard. Um, It's not it's not easy. But forms of community that are um, safe have been really good. Okay. Nate, well, I appreciate you, man. Um, think about you a lot. I know we only talk a few times a year. Um, yeah, uh, likewise. I won't be, I'm on sabbatical next fall, so I, I unfortunately won't see you next October. But we will, um, yeah, I will be promoting it. And let me know however we can support your ministry. So we'd love to send out a few newsletters, Absolutely. let our people know, push people there because – yeah, I can um, sure. 100% say this is such an important work that you're doing. Um, mm. And it's important, and lots of work is important, but when you have a, a decent-sized people group that have very few spaces where they mm-hmm. can be humanized and encouraged and feel safe to be challenged by the presence of Jesus and be around other Mm -hmm. believers who have gone through an experience that most people don't understand and to be worshiping the supremacy of Jesus together. Like that's, it's, it's really, it's super important. You know that I just want to publicly say that I am hundred percent behind you, man. So just whatever, whatever you need, I mean, whatever I can do to help, um, let me know. So, so so thankful for you and for center and all that you guys do. And yeah, it's, it's beautiful work. Thanks for coming on Theology and Rob, bro. Yeah.